Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes. And welcome to this week's Grow Guides. <laughs> this week we're covering vegetation. I think this is part seven now, right? It's part seven of the uh, Grow Guide series that we're doing, where we start from scratch, covering everything, making sure every aspect of growing is covered, and making sure you can learn how to grow your own weed just from listening to each one of these episodes. So this week we're going to be talking about vegetating a cannabis plant. And this is the stage in between the seedling stage, when, the, when you've grown your little seedling, couple of inches tall got a couple of sets of leaves until your flowering stage where the bud starts to grow on the plant and this is this is known as the veg stage the veg stage vegetating stage there's a few different terms for it but it's all essentially the same thing yep but uh in this grow guys we'll talk about uh what does vegging mean how to tell when autos have finished vegging uh topping and why you should do it training low stress training cannabis plants to manipulate the shape of them uh, what to feed the plant in veg and when to flip a plant to flower and the best pot sizes as well. So lots of different aspects we're going to be covering in this section of the grow guide. So who wants to take this away first, man? Who wants to explain what vegging means? Marge, you want to, you want to discuss that one? What vegging means? That's yeah, just what when... is vegetation? Oh, just when your plant's growing and doing its thing before it flowers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Easy, isn't it? Yeah, easy. <laughs> it is the time when your plant has no flowers. Right. And continues to grow. Yeah, grows flowers. leaves and stems and just yes. and, and more roots. It's, right. it's what would be going on with the plant if it was outdoors in, at springtime. This is what would be happening with the plant to be going through this stage of growth. But, yeah. um, I mean, outdoors, this will last how long? About four months outdoors, depending on how north you are. And how early you sow your seeds. Some people say in the equatorial latitudes, like Thailand mm -hmm. and shit, there's mm -hmm. a perpetually flowering cannabis. Yeah. With that. Mm. Uh, yeah. What do you mean? You perpetually flowering? You just chop it off and it'll go again. I suppose so, because it's just twelve, yeah, twelve, yeah. isn't it? It just wow. never kind of finishes flowering, right? Hey, well, Jorge has said it before that he was on a place where they literally they they take the buds off at the sites. And then that's mm -hmm. when they harvest it and it they just grow more buds, they continue mm. growing. Yep. That'd be crazy. They're, they're the tropical equatorial ones. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, it's I was just, just twelve all day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Vegetative vegetative growth is just the plant growing, getting bigger in all aspects. Right. That's all it that's all yeah, it is. That's it really. And if you're growing indoors, this is usually where you'd keep your plants on 18 hours of light and six hours of darkness per day. And it would just continue to grow. It'll grow taller, grow bushier. They'll grow more leaves on it, more side shoots. And that's about it, really. You just keep doing that until the flowering starts and when it starts to flower, which and we discussed this last week, I think. Did yeah. we discuss it last week or was it just through one of the interviews? Uh, <laughs> when flowering starts, then it will start to show its sex organs. And stuff like that and that's something that you need to know what to look out for so gb you want to cover what a plant looks like when it's when it begins to flower yeah um when she's beginning you will notice uh the the form of the pre-flowers depending if you're if you're on regs or if you have um a feminized you, mm -hmm. you will be able to distinguish the difference kind of fairly early on as well because the stigma you will see the very start of like the first thing of a bud like the, the hair starting to, to come out that's when you know mm -hmm. you're starting to when you're going into flowers in yeah. my opinion pre-flowers right. really the pre the pre-flowers happen in the vegetative stage it doesn't all that really signifies is that this plant is sexually mature enough mm -hmm. to start flowering mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. you'll start seeing offset growth of the the nodes where the leaves yep. pop out of the stem those will be a little bit offset instead of coming out exactly the same place in the stem. Mm -hmm. That's another sign. Um, but yeah, the pre-flowers, like you mentioned, they pop out and then you can either tell whether or not they're male or female pretty quickly, usually about like four or five weeks. That's what I've been doing actually for the last two weeks with all my shit is sexing them all. And I had to fucking kill like most of them because they're all males. Dicks. So with these pre-flowers, 
uh, you saying they show four or five weeks after seedling stages of war from germination? Yeah, and that's on twelve twelve. No, no, no. This from is on eighteen six. Right? Yeah, yeah. Regular eighteen six. It'll show most. Mm-hmm. Well, not always, but most of them will. Um, but yeah, when you start when you flip to flower, then you then the plant stops growing leaves and starts growing buds, and you get a whole different style of growth. But uh, we'll talk about that, I think. On another show, right? Yeah, flowering will come in uh, next, I suppose. After this, yeah. One. No, vegging is. I mean, it's yeah. When once you see the pre-flowers, it's nothing bad. It's just that's at that point in the plant's life, that's what happens. And then you can do your selections too. Pull out the males if that's what you're doing, or mm-hmm. or whatever you need to do. Right. Yeah. So, and like TG said, when the plant's going through veg, it's just going to grow more leaves, more stems. And then when it begins to flower, that's when the flowers start to grow. So this right. is where you want to get your plants into the correct structure, the right size, and make sure that it's going to grow in, in the right place, which you can do some topping. Because uh, if the plant's just going to grow from seed and just grow upwards about the plant being topped, it'll be very tall. And then the buds at the top of the plant uh, are going to get a lot more light, especially growing indoors. Outdoors, it doesn't matter so much. But indoors, then the top of the bud, the top of the plant is going to get a lot of light and the buds at the bottom are not going to get very much. So you don't want the plant growing too tall. You want to try and encourage it to grow bushy. And you do this thing called topping the plant where you pretty much remove the top of the plant at a certain node, usually around the fourth node is what people would usually top a plant at. And you just cut the head off it pretty much and that will stop it growing tall so much. It will still grow tall but it will also encourage the bottom bit of the plant to grow up and try and keep more of a, a level canopy. So it's flat and has the equal distance all around the plant from the light. So that's what, that's what topping is. And uh, you use a little bit of training, some LST is a low stress training. It's called just to bend the branches and tie them down in places to try and control the growth, to keep that, that level canopy at the top of the plant. You want it to be level and an equal distance from the light as much as possible. And this is something that a lot of growers do during veg to try and control the growth to make it be in the right position before it heads into flower. It's a, uh, there's other ways as well. We've, we've briefly spoken about manifolding in the past, mainlining. And mm. that's one of your things, isn't it, Monkey? It is uh, something that you do on a regular basis. And that, and that requires multiple toppings of your plant in order to get your, your plant into a manifold or a mainline strategy mm. for growing. But it's not the only way to grow. I mean, uh, it's just what I like to do. Mm-hmm. LST is fine. And most most growers that I see around our forum, at least, seem to prefer the LST over the manifold. Yeah, it's uh, just, you don't chop so much off, do you? I think it's a little bit, yeah, it's a, it's a less traumatic thing for growers. You know, you know, like you're saying, you're not chopping the plant to heck. But what I find with the manifold is if you do decide to go that way during veg and train your plants in a manifold, you will cut a lot off the plant, but once you get the manifold done and you've broken that apical dominance, the plant will catch up to anything that's been LST without the, without the topping. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growth just accelerates on it. So you know, with uh, low stress training as well, and the topping can be controversial too, but for low stress training, if you're going to do something like that on auto flowers, you need to get it done pretty soon. And when the flowering stage kicks in, that's where you need to mm-hmm. uh, stop doing the training because the plant will become more rigid and it might snap. It, it will snap a lot easier when it's heading into that flowering stage when the, when the stems start to thicken up. So I try to use a rule in, in auto flowers. If I'm going to do the topping and stuff, I like to have everything mm-hmm. finished by 25 days in because that way I know I'm not going to be into the flowering stage. You got to be fast mm-hmm. and you got so, to work them young. So when can you tell that an auto is heading into the flowering stage? Who wants to hmm. cover that? That's not too bad. Um, auto flowers, generally most auto flowers, once they pass the three, three week stage, you can kind of start looking for, for a, a flowering stage. Uh, if, if your auto flower is going to be going normally, first thing I notice uh, for the flowering stage is, is the, uh, it'll start showing pre-flowers like TG was talking about. You'll start seeing the, you'll start seeing the little pistol showing up down at the nodes on the pre-flowers and the plant will suddenly get into a growth spurt. That's mm-hmm. telling you right there that she's getting ready to flower and don't cut anything off of it at that point. Mm-hmm. Let no trimming at this point, no defoliation. Nope. Leave it alone. No topping, no trimming. Leave it alone until she's finished about two weeks. Mm -hmm. 
and when you do see them flowers like like monkey said don't chop anything off the plant that's where any defoliation will end but you, you do there you don't want to uh, encourage that stretch but we'll cover that again in next week's episode mm -hmm. i will tie into this so yeah, yeah when you start seeing that stretch you can pretty much figure veg is over now it's time to switch gears and start doing different things mm -hmm. and this is where you change the food up and everything because during veg the plant's going to need a specific type of food and that will depend on whether you're growing in organics or salt-based nutrients if you're growing in organics then all the food it needs is there's probably plenty there to cover most of the veg growth anyway but if it does start to look hungry and usually in veg if it does start to have a problem the bottom leaves will go yellow and they'll probably have a nitrogen deficiency and this is something that can happen when the plant's not fed very well you'll see the bottom leaves going yellow and that's mm -hmm. when it's an mpk during the veg it's probably a nitrogen deficiency right so you can you'll get foods in the bottle tg do you want to explain the mpk ratio and how veg uh veg and food works growth grown roots sure yeah um i guess that the general super general rule of thumb is you want kind of higher levels of nitrogen lower levels of potassium phosphorus is important that's the p uh, in the middle there, NPK. Mm -hmm. K is potassium because it's spelled with a K, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I don't actually know why, but I'm, I think it's probably Latin or Yeah, it's because anyway. of the Latin thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, phosphorus is important the whole thing, whole time, because that's really important for roots and, uh, and bigger roots, bigger fruits, as we know, right? And also mm -hmm. fruit development. Um, but yeah, the nitrogen is what plants are like the chlorophyll molecule. Um, if you look at the makeup of it is pretty heavy in nitrogen. Um, so, so yeah, you need a lot of nitrogen to build a lot of leaves and stems and things basically is, is the super generalness of it. The, the micros are important through the whole grow. Usually you're not adjusting your manganese and your you know, copper and stuff that much. It's uh, usually comes as chelated micronutrients within whatever you're using. But um, yeah, higher nitrogen in veg, when you get into flower, a lot of people are like, no nitrogen, but like that's bullshit. Plant still needs nitrogen. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Well, nitrogen's used other places too. So um, not just in molecules, but in regulation of, of certain processes and things. So anyway, but yeah, you do use a little bit more uh, potassium during the flowering phase. And that's why when you look at the veg versus flowering nutrients, the ratios change and usually are more heavy on the, the right side of the numbers than on the left side for veg. But yeah, basically just higher, higher bits of nitrogen. Um, I've done grows where I've just fed 20, 20, 20, you know, just some mm -hmm. simple salt-based newts the whole time. And that works fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean maybe that you could have done it could have been a bit better here or it could have been a bit worse there or something if i would have tried to tried to really tune it in but yeah i mean that worked too but yeah essentially it's just the nitrogen thing i think is is the main difference between the two types of newts right yeah yeah that's it between flowering and uh the vegging newts nitrogen is the big difference isn't it? and then the pk goes up on the flowering just less right, right. nitrogen pretty much because too yeah. much nitrogen can make your air your buds area as well to take away that that density if it's got too much nitrogen they'll be much fluffier much laughier than uh than you want them to be really that's why you cut down the amount of nitrogen you get so you don't cut it completely the, these foods you can go you can go and buy from the grow shop they're all specially designed for these types of things but there's some which you'll get which is just a and b like canna just comes in an a and b form but if you went for advanced nutrients, which we spoke about in the nutrients episode, then you'll get the Sensi Grow for specifically for the vegetation stage and Sensi Bloom. And there's lots of nutrients that come like that, where there's a, a grow and a bloom section, or might call it flowering newts, or, you know, vegetable flower. There'll be some kind of name like that, but there's also the ones where you can just get A and B and add more potassium later on when you use a PK booster. The food for the plants during veg is just pretty simply going to, you're going to keep it low and increase it as the plant wants it. If it's already in the soil, then the plant will be fine for a good uh, four weeks, would you say? Four or five weeks at least, TG? In, in veg? In your soil. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I run my plant. I don't feed them anything in terms of just, just Epsom salts for a little bit of magnesium. Yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, my soil runs complete until the end of flower. And how long do you veg for? Um, on average, uh, between f- uh, five and seven weeks. I never usually go past 50 days. So, but usually around six weeks is when I stop and flip to flower. Mm. Yeah, I, I grow in a three gallon, just not quite filled to the top too. So, mm-hmm. um, that amount of time in veg leaves me with enough nutrients to complete a, you know, eight to 12 week flowering cycle, depending on things. Nice. So, yeah. Um, but I can't, I don't know other soils. I know Soam's good like that too. Or people like that one. I'm um, in terms of not having to add stuff, but um, yeah, just regular old soil, you know, you're going to have to add your PKs or your can of A and B things to it. Cause Soil without any nutrients is is basically just the same as cocoa. It's just made of something different. Right. It's inert uh, media. Tickle Tank asked there, does soil need extra microbes? It's it's like it's it's good to have them just in case. Yeah. I mean, was it Tad Hassi who put it uh, the best way? I think you brought it up before TG. Like it's good to have them there, but you should have uh, other organic foods there just so the plants can get it just in case. That's all I've ever done too. I don't use them as a living soil regenerative soil thing, right? They're there to, yeah, help the plant if it needs it, but the plant knows what the fuck it wants. And if the, the plant goes for the easiest route, so if the, it has to wait for microbes to make shit, it's not going to if there's right ready bone meal or whatever sitting there for it. So blood meal, whatever the fuck. So what size pots do we use in veg? Let's let's go through how long we veg for and what size pots we use. Monkey, do you want to go first? Uh, in veg, I mean, if I'm going to plant in, into the... Uh original container i start i'll go to threes but i mean generally three gallon, veg, I, you mean yes three gallon pots i'm sorry but usually what i'll do is i'll start in a one gallon pot and, and then halfway through veg i'll move them into threes and then i'll keep them in the threes for about anywhere from two a week and a half to two and a half weeks before i flip them all right what are you saying gb I start off um, in the easy queue in the easy plugs and then as soon as i see them pop up in a, a good at the tap roots coming out the end i pop them into a small little two liter pot and right. then from that i will pop them into a 15 liter rare pot is that your final pot then in the 15 that's my final pot then i'll only right. and that's only if i'm doing photos i'll only transplant them once if i'm doing autos i start them straight in i put them straight from the easy cube straight into their final pot mm-hmm. what about you much what do you do well right now i'm doing a micro grow so they're just mm. after i pop the seeds i put them right in the soil so there isn't really a need for changing pot sizes and they're pretty small yeah right doing indoor before we just use rock wool cubes and we had like the little ones we we were cloning so they started in the little tiny ones and then you just pop them into the larger rock wool cubes and, mm. nice and easy yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. what about you tg you briefly mentioned yours there yeah i usually start out in like a little I don't know what size they are, but they're like a 3.5 inch diameter pot, like the very starter pot you would buy, like your plants from the, the yeah, like nursery. A, a half a liter. Well, uh, probably even smaller than that, like 400 mil, maybe. They're yeah. just really small. I think I know ones, which so, one you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I'll germinate or I'll plant my germinated seed into, and I'll let that grow in there for about three weeks. I'm actually downstairs. I have plants. My current run are three exactly three weeks old, and uh, probably going to transplant them tomorrow. Um, so yeah, I'll put those in those little ones for three three weeks, and then I usually just go right up to my final pot into the three gallon. Because I usually, unless uh, depends what I'm doing, but yeah, even even if I'm running in a six gallon, I'll put it in that. But I just get them big enough so they're you know they have a good root ball in that little pot. So. There's, they're robust enough to take a, a transplant and, uh, and I kind of know how they're going to grow because you can, by that point, you can see which ones are the vigorous ones and which ones suck ass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then usually, like I say, into the three gallons up to, I run seven gallons sometimes, but mostly, most of the time it's three gallons. Yep. Sweet, that's, that's it. Yeah. For mine, I, uh, I start off in a small part like you do, no matter what I'm growing in the soil or cocoa. I'll start off in a, a 400 milliliter to 500 milliliters and I'll grow them up just for like a week or two. And then if I'm growing in soil, they'll go straight into their final pot, which is 30 liters. But then I fall to the top. It's like, I don't know, 28 liters in there maybe. 
Uh, and if I'm going into cocoa, then I'll go into a three litre pot after that one and then transplant again into a 12 to 15, depending on if I'm using fabric pots or the air pots. But don't go too big with the cocoa sizes. You know, you're you just watering them every way, yeah, every day anyway. Yeah. Three gallon, I should say, is 12 litres for anybody that mm -hmm. doesn't know that. A gallon is about four litres, four and a half litres in between there. Yeah. It's, it's around. You know, liters is the best way. This whole this whole metric system, which we figured out, it's genius. So try and stick with that one. Useful, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember. But I'm I'm nearly sure it's the twenty liter. It's the green base in the air pots. There's that fucking many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, indeed, green, red, yellow. They're all different sizes. But mm -hmm. I'm nearly sure it's the fifteen or the twenty liter pots is what I use. Right. So, what about feed? Do we go? How much do you feed the plants? Like. GB, because you're in salts, you use canna, don't you? How many milliliters per liter of A and B are you using to feed your plant throughout veg? And do you add any cow mag at all? Um, yeah, I I literally only really feed A and B and a bit of cow mag when I'm in veg. You know, mm -hmm. um, for the whole veg cycle until I go to flower, I literally, I mean, maybe it varies between one one up to to two mil. Growing as the plant grows, I give it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. That's per milliliter. So I I do mix up my feed in five liter drums. So mm -hmm. you're talking it's anything from five mil to ten mil per five liters. What about you, Marge? You you're on a what? What are you feeding your plant? Oh, sorry, micro? Uh, sorry. And just with Calmag, I always add in probably about a little between a quarter to a half of what I'm putting in of the other stuff. So if right, I put right. in five mil, I'd put in say two mil of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. calamag. Right. What are you saying, March? Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Right now, I'm not feeding them anything. Sweet. Because you've seen temple growers live in soil, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And they seem to be doing all right. Although the one of them, the some of the leaves are, are yellowing for some reason. Magnesium, but, probably. Yeah. And I was explaining that. To get getting anything oh. to add to it. And now I'm seeing what you're saying about how things take longer to fix when you're growing in soil. Mm -hmm, <laughs> seeing that right now but i mean otherwise they're looking pretty great so but yeah i haven't been feeding them anything at this point you you say it's probably going to be magnesium there tg how old is it uh let's see we're into february so probably like i think i planted them on the mid-december uh, um, yeah pictures would definitely help but that's likely <laughs> A magnesium issue it could be nitrogen too you know i mean mm -hmm. there is a finite amount of nitrogen in there my recipe does it, it's a bit heavy i'm actually gonna readjust it uh this year with a couple different ingredients and the ratios slightly different because i'm i've been having nitrogen rich issues so um yeah but i mean it does run out so yeah a picture would be good because magnesium and nitrogen both are yellowing but they look it's quite different in terms of how they they yellow the leaves, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, probably is magnesium. If I would get, if I had to guess, yeah, I'll start with that. See what happens because yeah. they still have a bit more time to go. What about some, your food, monkey? Uh, well, early veg probably half a mil per liter of CalMag and A and B, and then of, of CalMag and oh, because you use rainwater, don't you? Yes, you put yes, CalMag. Uh, so yeah, every I mean from. I'm in cocoa and with rainwater, I mean, it's mm -hmm. mag from, from the very get-go. You know, there's no calcium in that water. So you mm -hmm. have to have something. But yeah, one, um, half a mil in the beginning of, of veg and I'll finish veg off usually at one mil per liter. Um, some some strains, if they're heavy eaters, I may have to go up on that, but the plant will usually tell me. Yeah, man. No, see, I'm the same as GB. I use the canna, the uh, canna A and B. When I'm growing in cocoa, not in soil, I just I just mix some uh, bone meal, blood and bone meal, and that gets mixed in with the soil beforehand. And there's plenty of nitrogen in there to last a fucking I don't know. I haven't seen it run out yet. <laughs> you know, the plant just keeps fucking eating it. It's pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. But uh, with when I'm using salt-based nutes, I'd only use say between 0 0.5 and 0 0.8 of a milliliter per liter in the early stages, and then just as the plant looks hungry, I'd, I'd just you know, add an extra couple of liters for every 10 liters of water. And it seems to do fine just gradually increasing it until the plant looks happy. Or if you monitor mm -hmm. in the EC, then you can see what the runoff is saying and what the reservoir is saying. 
and see if it's going up or going down with the EC, and then you can adjust the, the feed as necessary. Yeah, that's that's how I do it as well, Mikey. Because yeah, sounds like it, we're saying. Yeah, I, I go I go by I judge the plant. If I see her looking too dark, I fucking lay back. back mm-hmm. If I see her looking mm-hmm. too fucking too light, I lay it on a bit more mm-hmm. and I, I balance it out. That's right. And then it's practice, just, it? Yeah, it's it that's does. all it is. And plus once you once you grow with the same thing, like for the last fucking two and a half, three years, that's all I've been growing with, with Canna. I don't even mm-hmm. have I know I don't even have to pH it because I know exactly how many drops the fucking pH takes. Yeah. I know exactly what takes to go in. Yeah. It's just this fucking it's it. You're on fucking um autopilot now when you go yeah. in, you get it done so quick. There is something else I do though with my feeding technique is I use some Epsom salt, which are hundred percent magnesium sulfate, is what they are. No scent or anything like that. You can get them from most uh like boots in the UK, places like that, health stores and things. And you can just buy them with no scent. And you just use like a teaspoon for every three liters. And start with warm water so it all dissolves well in there and if you spray that over your plants it delivers magnesium directly to the plant the, uh, you only do this during veg don't do it in flower and don't spray anything on your flowers but yeah. during veg you can spray your plant with the epsom salts and that will put magnesium directly into the plant's skin if you like and rather than taking it in through the roots and it's much way to get magnesium delivered to the plant which will in turn work with the calcium to get the calcium flowing around the plant as well. So just using some extra Epsom salts is a good way to keep the the whole calcium and magnesium flowing around the plant nicely. So I like to do that around week four or five after the seedling stage is over, because that's when I start to, I notice it like a week after that. So if I treat it a week early, just to make sure it doesn't start in the first place. That's how I roll. I will ask you the question, actually, now that you just said about getting the magnesium onto the plant, doing it that way, Mackie. Mm-hmm. I had somebody message me on Instagram during the week mm-hmm. asking me, could they put um, Calmag, a Calmag solution into their um, humidifier? Oh, mm. bad idea. I, would, yeah, we'll I thought that, it was right. a bad yeah. idea. I said it to him. I wouldn't do it, but I said I will ask more learned people than I. I think and this is why have, I'm asking ye, and it's just now that you've just you reminded up with me. residue all over your tent. G. Well, it, you're turning it to steam rather well, that's than what I said. You, using a yeah. fine mist of spray is what you'd use for that. And then the spray, mm. the water's dissolved, yeah. the, the magnesium salts mm. dissolved into the water and being sprayed onto the plant. And if it's dissolved into the water in the humidifier, then that's just going to evaporate the steam and leave the salts behind. Well, that's yeah, what yeah. I said. I thought more is going to just fuck up your humidifier, which are expensive mm-hmm. fucking bits of kit. It depends on the type of humidifier. If you have an ultrasonic one, it will go into the air, but mm-hmm. that's not an effective way, I would say, yeah. of getting... Mm-hmm. You just take, get a fucking garden sprayer and, and yeah, spray yeah. it. Yeah, that's um, an easy. That's what yeah, I said. Less is more, I keep telling this, chap. It, it, it oh, will yeah. absolutely fuck up your humidifier if you have yeah. uh, a hot water one. I have one here. We use it every night because it's so fucking dry here. Mm. And just the tap water it's you know yeah anyway well uh, because if you're spraying when you spray plants as well just when you go to do that with the epsom salts if you go to do that then raise your lights up if you need to because you don't want to get your, your lights wet. you don't want to spray any cold water on hot lights especially old school hid because the bulb yeah. will blow up that's and, a good reason why i don't do any foliar spraying i use epsom salts all the time mm-hmm. um that's the one supplement i do use you go um, for the medium yeah, I just put it in my irrigation water. One tablespoon per gallon. That's what I do. Cool. If if I have issues, if I'm just like, oh shit, like it's this far into the grow, mm-hmm. then I'll just do like a half, like, I don't know, 10 or 7.5 mil, I guess is half a tablespoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have problems, then I'm a tablespoon a gallon until morale improves. Um, I don't know if this has any bearing of truth and I don't know how it actually works in the plant, but magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salts. The sulfate part of that is sulfur. Mm. And as we've recently been uh, discovered here, the thiols are what makes uh, skunky smelling weed smell really skunky. So if you're dumping a bunch of magnesium sulfate in, maybe that helps bring out the skunkiness or something because there's more sulfur. I don't know. Yet to be seen. We should try an experiment. Mr. Sparky says that he sprays Epsom salts when the lights go off. Uh, plants look great in 24 hours yeah it's good to do it when the lights are on because the the stomata is what they call the pores on the leaves they're still open and i think that makes a difference to the way they absorb the uh the shit i i either take mine out of the tent 
and spray it and then put them back in. If we're even doing that, some people don't like, because if the water droplets are too big on the leaves, then the plant can like do the do a magnifying glass kind of effect and burn the leaf through the water. But I've never seen that happen. I think that's a myth. <laughs> so I don't really care about that too much. I just play, spray the plants, give them a good coating on both sides of the leaves, top and, the, and underneath as well, and then pop them back into the tent. And they're happy, man. They, just, they seem to be happy like that. But I only do that this with Epsom salt. So any other food goes straight through the roots. I will say a special shout out to compost tea. I do spray the fuck out of that on my plants mm. as a foliar feed because not only is it good to, like you were explaining, absorb into the tissue of the leaves, it provides basically a protective layer of like some serious fucking sent sentinel type bacteria and, and shit to fight off any pathogens that might be around. So it's kind of a double whammy. Sparky asks, does the plant metabolize the sulfur, you know, for the magnesium sulfate? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a fucking biochemist. <laughs> micronutrients, so some of it, I'd say maybe, yeah. yeah we can't get too sciencey by, by the sound of it, then. There you go, Sparky. Okay. That's what you're going to get, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything not else my... here we should cover for, for the vegetative stage? Let's, uh, during veg, if you're doing some of this training and you accidentally break a stem, don't worry too much because it's the vegetative stage and the plant will fix itself. Just tape up the, the branch, support it if you can. So the, the, um, the actual break is sealed as close as possible as it was before you broke it, put some tape around it and it'll be fine after a couple of days. These plants are very, really resilient during the vegetative you stage. Get, you can get good garden tape as well in a, in any good garden center or fucking anywhere that if you break it, you can. I use fucking sellotape, man. I use sellotape. Yeah. And it, sometimes I don't even use that. If I can support it in a way where it don't need tape, then I'll just, you know, support it and put a stick underneath it or something to try and hold it up in the right position. Mm -hmm. And these things will fix themselves after 24 hours. And it, it can be really fucking shit sometimes when you break like three or four stems because that just happens sometimes. Some, you know, if you, as I said earlier, it starts to get a little bit more rigid when it gets into the flowering stage. If you're in between that stage and you use some training where as they're getting more and more rigid, they can snap so easily. Just don't be too disheartened. Put some tape on it and it'll be fine after a couple of days. Who was, was it not so long ago? No, when I say not so long ago, it could be a year ago or so that the whole fucking lights came down on top of all the plants right in the middle of flower. Um, I remember that. I can't. I can't remember who I dropped the lights on that plant. But I think they. I think they. They did kind of recover a bit. But yeah, they always recover, man. Yeah. So it's never, never the end of the world. So. Right, so I think that's about it for the vegetative stage. Then that's all we we'll cover this. Time. I mean, there's always more to every one of these subjects that we've co we've covered, but we can't cover everything. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. It's uh, it can be complex, but it's also very simple. All you're doing is leaving the plants underneath lights. 18 hours a day and for darkness for six hours a day until they begin to flower whether you induce that or whether it's an auto flower or that does it you know just feed them keep them happy with grow newts bit of cow mag if needed and if you have any questions about any of this then you know to head over to percysgrowing.com and we're happy to help you answer any questions there so just let us know have a good organic cocoa test going now at the minute have you started it I've started it now, yeah. So I have three bubblegum autos going. And um, one is using the standard can <clears throat> of feeding schedule that they recommend. One is using my growth schedule. And one is using the, it's going to be just pH water and um, thing going in. It's, it is literally just going to be all organic nutrients. See. So hopefully see how, we'll see how this yeah. one goes. So we've got some questions from the listeners. We've got a few that have been dropped in there throughout chat as the show has gone on. Uh, we go to the first one here from Savons. He says, mighty or crafty, is the battery life as good as advertised? I mean, I've got, the, I've got the mighty plus and uh, I think the battery life is the most disappointing thing about it. It does last long yeah. enough. It's not as if it's shit. But I would like I'd like it to last as long as my phone does, which isn't really possible no, because it has to produce happen. a shitload of fucking heat to do all this shit. It also right. depends how often you use it. Well, how many bowls do y'all get out of, of, of a charge for your mighty? Yeah, it Three. is plenty to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I you'll get six or eight bowls out of a mighty usually for me on mine. Yeah, I, don't I think know. that's I'd very like three, maybe four. Mm. I guess it all depends how far you're going to smoke that bowl down to. Yeah, mm -hmm. true. You know. Yeah, it's not like it's shit. It's like I can you can use it, get high, 
two, uh, three, four times without yeah. charging it. So you could possibly take it out and, you know, you'll be fine with it as long as it's fully charged when you leave the house and it'll probably be dead when you get back. Yeah. If I take it in my shop with me and I'm working during the day because I'm not, I'm not really vaping on it constantly during the day, but I can get three or four sessions during the day off of it in the shop and and take it out at the end of the day and charge it. So Mm -hmm. it'll last me through an average day if I'm not consuming heavily. It Mm -hmm. would last me from nine to five. Good way to put it. Yeah, yes. that's that's and that's that's how I, I use it mainly during those hours. Yeah, yeah mighty, you, you the, can use them plugged in, so they don't necessarily have to be charged. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's I have the, the car charger. Fucking so handy, sweet. You know? Now, what's what about the crafty? What's the battery life on that? Half as bad as the mighty. <laughs> I can speak to the one that was released in 2015, <laughs> but I know that they've done some upgrades since then. Because it's seven years. Fuck, this thing's seven years old. Wow, that's crazy. But I usually can. What is today? You got it probably. Um, the battery has waned. Um, I can usually get four to five bowls, probably four mm-hmm. bowls. I would say, mm-hmm. um, four good ones, and then the so other I... one. The only thing is, mine takes a lot longer to heat up than it used to. So, I don't know what that's about, but uh, there's that. I, I would say if if you had the money, the mighty is the better option to go with, only purely because it will last that little bit longer. You will get that. And you can actually see the control and be able to change the thing from the unit itself without mm-hmm. having to pair it up to anything. I'd agree. That's, that's always... I like the whole pairing up unit thing. I think that should be a, it should be an option on the mighty as well, to be fair. You know? I've always wanted or wished I went for the mighty to be honest mm. just but i just got this one because it was the most discreet and smallest right mm-hmm. so we have yeah. one for marge uh yes so of course this is about edibles because marge knows edibles you can check her out on her podcast bite me the show about edibles on all good uh podcasting platforms and that right marge to tell that is right, uh, that is there right. You go. Thank you download the fucking show everybody stop messing around okay now now to the question <laughs> If you if you forget to decarb your cannabis before adding in coconut oil, how long do you need to heat at 180 to 200 degrees to compensate for that? Or is it just never going to be the same from show enough? Yeah, I saw this question in the chat and I did answer them. And unfortunately, I, in my opinion, I think it's just never going to be the same. I'm really sorry to inform you that if you did, forgot to decarb, it's you can't really compensate for that when you're infusing it. However, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the world. And I'll tell you why. I recently learned about this technique. I haven't actually tried it myself, but it was from the good folks over at Ardent Cannabis. And they were talking about an infusion boosting technique, which is basically if you have like an, an infusion that you've made and you're like, it's not strong enough or you're having, you're wanting to make something and you want it to be stronger than it currently is, then you could add decarbed cannabis to the infusion you already have and try infusing it again mm. to boost the potency of that infusion. Mm-hmm. So you still have to go back and infuse some flour and you're adding more flour into that infusion and then mm-hmm. having it again, but that is one way to compensate. If you found that you've made something, you forgot to decarb it, it's not going to be as potent. You can go back and re-infuse it or do an infusion boost if you will. And that might be something to try instead of, because you're just not going to be able to, to compensate. Nice. We'd have a lot of THCA though, right? Theoretically in it, because it's not decarb, but it's still there. It's just not been decarbed. So, yeah. that, I mean, and there's evidence that THCA is good for you too. In some ways, I don't know. I mean, you don't think it's a psychoactive, so I probably wouldn't do what you wanted. Especially it CBD. Right? CBD has been shown to do logic shit in it. The THCA yeah. is, is a powerful anti-inflammatory, so there you go. Yeah, maybe, and I don't know. But, but if it has that acid molecule on it, it does help with uh, combating COVID, wasn't it? I, I'm sorry I said this. That's season. true. You're right. You, you're correct. <laughs> well, you're correct. In the Petri right. dish, it's, it did. Yeah. But it they weren't possible. able to show the THC because it's federally illegal, remember? Yeah, just, but it showed because promise. Of, yeah, it's similarity, I assume, molecularly <laughs> to CBD and, and CBGA probably right. is what they were assuming THC would work to. But yeah. yeah, I mean, all is not lost. Yeah, I'm betting you they even tested it and just didn't publish it. Maybe, probably. Yeah. 
So right. good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Well, maybe not the answer he wanted, but still. Well, maybe. Never... <laughs> I mean, no one wants to think they kind of possibly wasted some weed that decarb first, but mm-hmm. it's not the, end of the world. And it will Makes. be. There's probably some decarbing that happens during the infusion process, but it's just not going to be as potent as it would be otherwise. What about if you use, like, say you use, you made it with coconut oil or any oil, I guess, and then you use that oil. Like, I just made banana bread today. Mm-hmm. And if I would have used that oil in the banana bread that was cooked at 325 Fahrenheit for an hour and 20 minutes, would that decarb it? Maybe? Probably? No. Short answer. No. No. The inside of your banana bread is not going to get that temperature. If it does, your banana bread's going to burn or whatever, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess. The decarb process is pretty important. Yeah. Do that ahead of time. And I've talked yeah. to a lot of chefs and you know experts in this field, and the consensus is from what I've learned over the last few years is that you really do need to decarb first. Mm-hmm. And the monkey had a question there related to that as well. Is it possible to over decarb weed? Oh, the, reason, the reason I'm asking you is when we first did our interview before you were on our podcast with you, I asked you about, about how to reduce the green flavor in cannabis. And your answer was try decarbon a little longer. And I've done that and it had solved the problem. But the other day I was sitting there thinking about it going like, okay, so I'm experimenting now uh, because of uh, talking to Stoner Chef and things about using uh, sealed decarbs and, and, and keeping your terps and using water instead, hot water and, and pressure cookers and um, all different different ways to decarb and seeing which one I can get the best product in. But I have no idea if I'm doing it too long because every time I do it, I guess at a time. Right. Because it is possible to over decarb because you're going to end up like if you do it for too long, you're going to end up burning off cannabinoids that you don't want to. Ah. One of the things, and with oven temperatures too, it's always tricky because they can be so inaccurate. So my oven, I could say, you know, decarb it at say 225 for half an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oven temperatures can vary quite a bit. And unless you're in like a commercial kitchen or something, then that's always going to be an issue. I will say the one, and this isn't, I have an Ardent that does a D that decarbs. I don't know if you're familiar with one of those devices. Mm -hmm. I've found that it's, pretty amazing actually for the decarb process because it's so the whole purpose of the machine is to decarb and it's at a pretty precise temperature and that's pretty effective if you're really looking to mm-hmm. carb with more accuracy i guess ah. yeah so maybe i'll do some more research and get some more tables then yes cool oh, thanks yeah nice another <laughs> good answer from march <laughs> So, and then we have one more from Tinkle Tink who asks, uh, do you recycle your soil? Or how do you recycle your soil is probably the uh, right way to put it. Yeah, but uh, I've recycled my soil for, I don't know, four or five grows now, and it seems to do fine every time. But near the end of flowering, it starts to run out of nutrients and I have to add some PK to it, it seems, because that seems to be doing well for it now. But other than that, yeah, we cycled my soil loads of times. The last time I recycled it, I put some compost in there as well, though. I didn't just use uh, the bone meal. Use fish blood and bone, I think I use. And I put that into the soil. And every, you know, when I mix it up, when the pot, when the pot gets empty, I put some of that shit in it and mix it up with some potash as well. And then just go again. And it seems to do fine until the end of flowering comes. So that, that's how I recycle mine. You recycle yours, don't you, TG? No way, you know. People sometimes give me not shit, but like I, th- I feel like they're looking down their nose at me because I don't reamend my soil. Mm. I, but I compost all my soil balls. They go back into my compost, which I also use. I use for many things around the yard, but one of the main things I use my compost for is to make my soil. So yes, in a sense, it is. I do recycle it. Actually, literally, I do recycle it. Mm-hmm. Um re though is another good way. I could do that too. You know, there's lots of brands that sell uh re-amendment kits, whatever. They're um they're full of basically, yeah, you just recharge your soil so you can use it again. Um I've never, you know, I grow in small ish relatively small pots for somebody who uses a super soil bordering on living soil, not really living soil. If 
and this year I'm, I'm, I'm actually building a bunch of soil for my, um, outdoor beds that I have that will be re-amended. I'll do soil tests on it every year to, to see what plants have taken out of it and then re-amend as needed with uh, certain products like Mackie mentioned with the bone meal and the blood meal and stuff. Um, I'll use stuff like glacial rock dust and basaltic rock dust in that because those are very, very long-term slow release products that do have nutrient value, but not in a soil like I use or a lot of super soils. So I have such a big problem with soils that have those but yeah recycling to eh, sorry I, I go on fucking tangents about soil but yeah i do recycle my soil but not re-amend it um, i just compost it and then use the compost again well there you go and then cocoa you a cocoa grower monkey yep. what do, do you what do you do with your cocoa uh to recycle it uh, do, uh, basically- do you recycle it? and if you do how do you do it Yes, absolutely. Recycle my cocoa. Uh, I'll, I'll get a, a large bucket, a wash tub, something like that. And I, I take the root ball and high pressure hose and I'll, I'll try to wash as much of the cocoa out of the roots as I can and discard the root ball. Then I'll, I, I use a, a wire, a very coarse wire strainer, and I, I'll rake this through the cocoa that's, that's in a bunch of water to remove the roots, as much roots as I can get out of it as possible. Uh, and then I'll just wash it, re, uh, rebuffer it with cow mag. And then I'll use 50% of the used cocoa to 50% new cocoa. All right. And that's, you know, that's how I'll, that's how I recycle my cocoa. You're going to lose a little bit on every grow. And usually mm-hmm. by doing this, you know, it works out pretty well. I, I usually get at least 50% of the cocoa from the last grow recycled. So, you know, extends it on out. I used to recycle the cocoa and use only recycled cocoa, but I started having problems with that. So I started using 50-50 and it worked a lot better for me. Yeah. Maybe it needs to be buffered for longer or something. Uh, I think what it was, was the cocoa was starting to break down and it was getting too much moisture. Uh, I was holding too much moisture at it. And the new mm-hmm. cocoa had a better better quality for aeration. So together it worked really well. Sweet. What about you, GB? You use cocoa as well. Do you recycle it? Um, I don't recycle it now. It's... I find it easier just to fucking dump the whole thing and I'm buying it. It's cocoa mm-hmm. so cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like fucking 12 quid or 13 yeah. quid to buy a fucking 25 later mm-hmm. or it could be 50 later. I don't know. It's a big fucking bag. Yeah. What about you, Marge? You just use uh, the living soil again, don't you? Yeah. And then usually at the end of the season, I toss it my compost and then it gets recycled that way. So, and yeah. also top off your garden beds. I used to do that too. Just, mm-hmm. You know, it is kind of uh, not the best looking stuff because it's usually full of perlite. But if that's not a problem for you, yeah, just fucker, just layer onto your garden beds. Your no-till garden beds, right? Don't mm. till it. I, I, just <laughs> throw it in, I throw it underneath the trees. I bring, yeah. I bring them down. I let them dry out completely in a corner in the shed. And then when they're fucking bone dry and there's feels like there's no weight in them, I bring them down and get them a slap at it. Uh, you know the the uh, pitchfork type thing, and that just breaks them flat straight down. Hmm. Sweet. Well, that's all the what, questions. What that's, do you do, uh, Becky, with your cocoa? Yeah. My cocoa gets used in a worm farm at the, in the back garden. <laughs> that is a recycling. So, that is a way to recycle it. So there you go. Yeah, because it's difficult to get rid of the root ball when you, you yeah. know, when you're growing in an illegal place. It's difficult. You have to figure out something else to do that. With my soil, as I explained, I. Uh, and I've been using that for about a year, over a year now, maybe. I don't even know. I've done many grows in it. So it's been a long time. But I know. used to recycle it. Right. Where I used to just do it. And I used to kind of do the same thing as what Monkey done, where I used to just get the, the root ball and shake it into a kind of a, a big basin and get as much of it off. I didn't go through with a... a mm-hmm. Uh, anything i just literally just took that then and and added it in kind of the same as monkey like a 50 50 mix with new stuff mm-hmm. and i used to just take the root ball then because it was so small and scraggly you used to be able to just push it down into the very bottom of a bag that was going to be going into the into the garbage like that week yeah you know what way because it wouldn't have any smell well no, it, smell. it could be a, a pepper plant or a tomato yeah. plant by that point it looks just like a vegetable plant yeah, and plus when it's in the very bottom of a fucking garbage bag, down yep. at the bottom of a bin, nobody's yep. going to see it, like. Oh. Hey man, so I think that is it for today. I think that's all the questions. That's all the grow guides. 
and we'll carry on next week with the flowering stage, I suppose. And there's a lot to cover in, in that section. But should we do the stretch? And yeah, I think we've, I think we should do like the stretch, identifying sex and the, the stretch, early flowering, because late flowering is a different thing altogether. What do you think? Yeah. yeah, you really can break flowering down into early, mid and late, because I mean, it's different things you are doing in the, each of those phases. It depends how, how much detail we want to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe two would be a good idea. Identifying mm -hmm. sex. No, because we 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 are we usually take about an hour to go through this stuff anyway. So I don't see why not. I don't see why we could just talk about it. I think we'll fit yeah. it all into one episode. I absolutely think there's enough. You know, yeah. the first part of flowering is like waiting for it to start, basically. But there's a lot of shit that happens in that time for mm -hmm. the first three to four weeks, and then after that, like you said, there's a lot more shit that goes on then too, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the actual flower, the resin production, you know, having to tie shit up if it's heavy, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, and then, you, mm -hmm. then you're building the buds and then the last part of it, you're fattening everything. Yeah, exactly. Screens if you're doing scrogs and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So yeah, yeah. there might be two episodes then flowering part I, one and two. Probably. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Right. So there we go then. And there we go. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Vegetating a cannabis plant is a very easy thing to do, but there's lots of little things that can happen throughout the process that can make it a little bit more difficult. If you have any questions or if you need any help with anything, then head over to percysquareroom.com and ask questions there. And we're always happy to help you out. Don't forget, again, we've got a, a special live stream coming up on the 4th of March with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, where we have a special Q&A session. So you can come along and ask questions if you wanted to. We've got loads of cool interviews coming up as well, which you'll be able to watch live if you're a patron of the show. If you want to become a patron, just head to patreon.com slash Room and you'll find us there. And you become a patron for as little as uh, $420 and tree fiddy for the Loch Ness Monster in the UK. But that's about it for this week. Uh, don't forget we have a session tonight because it's Friday. We have a session. You can come and join us and just chat some shit with us. That would be cool. But for now, that, that's about it. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you could leave a rating of the show, that would be much appreciated. Uh, or just share it with somebody. That would be massively appreciated too. But for now, we'll catch you on the next episode, which would be Monday for the Cannabis News and Events. Enjoy. Goodbye. Goodbye.